Good morning. It, yeah. Are you excited about the morning or is it just my shirt? Uh, what a great day. I tell you what I was thinking this weekend. What a, I don't know why, but just what a great, great weekend to be alive. Would you agree with that? Just a good time to be alive? All right, five, five people in this section agree. I'll just talk to you guys, okay? I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an off-site campus uh, or on the internet or a podcast or wherever you might happen to be. We're glad that you guys are along for the ride uh, too. Hey, listen, we have got um, a special day uh, today. I've, some more friends of Seacoast. Have you guys enjoyed our friends this summer? I mean, it's been a great time. And... Uh, Last week was uh, Rick Bizet, and he just did an incredible job. And then I want to introduce you to uh, Christine Kane. Uh, this is the first time that she's been here uh, at Seacoast. Some of you may have heard her uh, before in other settings. Christine is uh, one of the pastors and on the leadership team at Hillsong Church in uh, Sydney, Australia. Uh, she is kind of an international amb- ambassador for them. In other words, she goes out and she... Uh, speaks and preaches all over the world. Uh, this this week, um, for those of you who were watching the uh, Willow, Creek Le- Willow Creek Leadership Summit from Chicago, uh, she was a speaker there. And uh, there were, I think, 120,000 people connected online and in person to the Willow Creek Leadership Summit. And I watched, and Christine just brought the house down. I mean, they had a standing ovation uh, at the end, and it was incredible. And, and I'm, I'm just saying that to prep you guys. How many of you know we don't want to, the Yankees to outdo us? Is, you know, and and that was up in Chicago. And, you know, I'm I'm excited about what she's going to bring uh, today. Um, uh, her and uh, her husband Nick uh, created a couple of ministries that she'll she'll talk about. I think as she goes along. Uh, I'm just excited. What an in- incredible couple, and I'm so proud. Uh, to introduce them to you this weekend. So would you give like a great big Charleston, South Carolina welcome to Christine Kane as she comes and ministers to us. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor. Thanks heaps. Hey, good morning. I should say good morning, y'all. Now, this is the Queen's English. I'm from um, the land down under. You think you're all in the deep south? If you keep flying 20 hours more south, then that's where we are from. Anyone been to Australia? A few. Anyone want to come? Oh, Pastor, we want a whole church to come to Australia. That's awesome. Well, oh, awesome. Let us do. I did this um, last night, so I need to kind of just do a little bit of an education. This is the Queen's English, in case you're wondering. And um, we say, awesome. Can you hear how dignified that is? So after three, we're going to do awesome. One, two, three. You sound very dignified. Now, say it like an American after three. One, two, three. Awesome. Anyway, so that that is, I love being here. I'm here with the single most ravishing piece of masculine flesh on planet Earth. That would be my husband. And so, honey, you want to stand up? This is Nick, everyone. And we're here with our... Our two little girls, my little Catherine, Bobby, and my 
little Sophia Joyce, and we have fallen in love with your pastors. You ought to thank God, you know, Pastor Greg and Debbie, honestly, this church is, we've known of you for a very long time, and it's not an accident. When um, when God kind of breathes on a church and people start to know about you and you have an influence beyond the four walls, it's not an accident that that's happened. And you're planted in a great house under great leadership, and, you know, there's a great plan and purpose for this house, and you ought to thank God that you're under such great leadership. You really should. And I mean that. I mean that because you don't find that everywhere. So it's pretty awesome. And we, we've been hanging to come. I love Charleston. And um, it is such a beautiful, beautiful city. So we are really happy to be here. I'm going to get right into the word. I'm both Greek and a woman. So I only speak three ways, hard, fast, and continuously. So you will not fall asleep this morning. And uh, my husband is um, from a British background. He's the 12th of 13 living children. And um, I know all the women are like. His mother had 15 full-term pregnancies in 17 years. And so... So there was no television in that part of Australia. So anyway, it's about <laughs> the only way you could end up kind of marrying someone like me and survive. So um, kind of God has a good sense of humor. He puts two people from two very different backgrounds together and says, I'm going to watch you try to live together for the next 50 years. So only God could do that. And um, I want to welcome as well all of our other kind of campuses and online. I love this church. It's a little bit like God. You're like omnipotent and omnipresent. You're just everywhere all at once. It's, it's awesome. A few um, Nick and I uh, have been part of the Hillsong team for over 20 years. And I know most of you, if you know Hillsong music, you're so excited because you think, unreal, she's going to start singing Shout to the Lord. And um, if I was to sing Shout to the Lord this morning, you would all cry to the Lord because I really don't sing. But, you know, we part of what we do and we've been released out of our house is we do a lot of uh, mission work in Europe. And I've been going to Europe for 15 or 16 years, um, pretty much working with church planters and leadership development. But something defining happened to me about three or four years ago as I was walking through the airport in Thessaloniki, Greece. And I was walking through the airport and I was um, just waiting to get my bags. And I looked up. And when I looked up, I saw all of these posters on the wall. And they were posters of young women and children. And at first I didn't quite realize what they were for. And I said to my host, I'd seen posters like this in the airports in Kiev, in Warsaw, and in, in different Eastern European nations. But I was always really too busy to stop and look because I was going to speak at the next crusade or the next conference or the next meeting. And I was always running to my next thing that I didn't really take, pay much attention. Although I, I saw them, I didn't really notice. And so I stopped. And because I could see the kids' faces and they were just staring at me, I turned to my host and I said, could you tell me, you know, what are all these posters? And I could read the writing. I, I speak, read and write fluent Greek. So I, I could read it, but I still wasn't sure what all this was about. And my host said to me, Christine, these children, these young women are the alleged victims of human trafficking. To which I said, this was my response, I mean, human trafficking, that doesn't happen anymore. This is the year of amazing grace. This is the, the year that, you know, the, the film has, has come out and William Wilberforce and the emancipation of, of, you know, the freedom from slavery. I thought that this doesn't happen anymore. So then I went online and I started to have a look. And I was absolutely stunned. I started to discover that right now, as I'm standing here talking to you in, in, in Mount Pleasant on a, a Sunday morning, that there are more than 27 million slaves in the world today. More than ever in the history of humanity. On my watch, while we are the church of Jesus Christ on the earth, on our watch I discovered that this was happening, that human beings are trafficked around the world and sold 
for sex or sold for forced labor. And so I was very disturbed, which is evident, you know, and I've been in full-time ministry for over 20 years, teaching the word, seeing people saved. And I felt the Lord lead me to a passage of scripture, which you can turn there this morning in the book of Luke chapter 10. It's a, it's a story that we're all very, very familiar with. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, we're talking about the story of the Good Samaritan. We'll just pick it up in verse 30. It says, Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. And I couldn't get beyond this story because I thought, you know what? I've thought always that I was the Samaritan. I mean, here we are, my husband and I, our family, we are on the road 320 nights a year in over 45 different countries, helping to proclaim the gospel and helping people. And I had always thought I was like the Samaritan, but I felt this stirring that, Christine, you're not the Samaritan in this case. You're more like the Levite and the priest. You're seeing the posters And you're just so busy going to do your next religious activity that you cross the street and walk on by the other side. And then I looked at the story of what the Samaritan did again. And I read verse 33 and it says, the Samaritan saw the man. And then it said these words, and he had compassion on him. And these words that changed the last four years of our ministry life. And so he went to him. And I discovered then that a lot of us think we are compassionate because we get emotional, because we, we, have, we confuse compassion and sympathy, we confuse compassion and empathy. But compassion is never compassion until you cross the street and go to them, until it begins to cost you of your time, of your talent and of your treasure as it did with this man. He gave him his own transportation. He bandaged his wounds. He gave him medical supplies. He took him to the inn and he paid money for him to stay there. It totally inconvenienced him. And I discovered that the church of Jesus Christ on the earth would actually be growing a whole lot quicker if a lot of us were willing to be inconvenienced. I think a lot of churches just don't grow because no one wants to be inconvenienced. I mean, who's got more time for inconvenience? Who's got more time? I mean, we are all so busy and we have so much going on. And so then I began with all my excuses. You know, those excuses, but God, what could I possibly do? At the time, I'm a 40-year-old woman. I'm married. I've got an eight-year-old child. Or back then, I had a a four-year-old and just a newborn. What am I supposed to do? But God, don't you know I live in Australia? Don't you understand geography? There's a big difference between Australia and Eastern Europe. And you know how you start with all your buts? But God, I can't. But God, I'm single. But God, I'm married. But God, I don't have enough money. But God, you know, I've still got to retire. But God, this. But God, that. You know what the body of Christ needs? We need a serious butectomy. We seriously do. I I think if we had one of those, it's amazing what we would believe God to do because God needs us to live in that gap, that but God gap. So instead of, but God, I can't, we need to go, but God, 
I can't. Because what is impossible with man is possible with God. And God's looking for a church willing to take risks, willing to step out of the boat and say, I'm willing to be inconvenienced and I'm willing to cross the street. If you go on five chapters later in the Bible, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks to us about the importance of the one, of crossing the street for the one, like the Samaritan. He talks about a lost coin. He talks about a lost sheep. He talks about a lost son. We won't read it all, but I just want to draw your attention to a few thoughts from this chapter in Luke 15. He says, what man of you, in verse 4, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Verse 8, or that woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And then if you go on in the parable of the lost son, he talks about the father doing everything for the one lost son. One is very important to God. Now, 27 million is a big statistic, isn't it? 27 million. I mean, it is easy to kind of become desensitized to that. We talk about 40,000 children a day dying from preventable diseases, millions of HIV AIDS orphans in Africa. And when you throw out the numbers of millions, it's easy to become desensitized because numbers are numbing. Numbers are dehumanizing. Numbers are desensitizing. That's why the scripture doesn't deal in numbers. It deals in the one. He says he saw the one and was willing to be inconvenienced for the one. And so if I felt a challenge. What are you going to do? I didn't even know what human trafficking was. And that's where we began the A21 ministry, and which is focused all over. We have offices in Australia, in North America now, in the Ukraine, in Greece and in London to help fight against human trafficking. And do you know what? I discovered that when you dare to cross the street for the one, it is amazing how God turns up. I've seen more signs, wonders and miracles in the last four months, four years than I saw in my entire ministry life before that. You see, most Christians spend their life praying for signs and wonders and miracles, and then we avoid the context in which a miracle can happen. And I believe in the day and the hour that we live in, God's calling his church to take risks and step out of the boat. And I felt the Lord say, well, Christine, you know what? You were rescued. And I thought of these girls and I thought of some of their stories. And I'll show you a video in a moment of one of those stories. Because see, when you translate the 27 million just down to 27 million individual human beings, it changes everything. A million is always a statistic until you meet the one. And when you meet the one, it changes everything. But see, I was that one. And you were that one. And someone crossed the street for us, the one, and brought change and transformation to our life. You know, I have every reason in the world not to be standing before you today. I, I grew up in a background in Sydney, Australia. You know, I grew up second generation migrant Greek before my big fat Greek wedding when it was not cool to be Greek in Australia. I don't know if you've seen, anyone seen my big fat Greek wedding? Yeah, well, that's my big fat Greek life. And so I grew, I didn't speak English until I was five. And so I grew up in a very staunch Greek Orthodox culture where women were never encouraged to do anything. We were just encouraged to be one lean, mean breeding machine. And so, you know, it's, I was never encouraged to pursue anything else in life. And so I grew up in a culture where really my gender was quite a negative. My ethnicity in Australia was a very big negative. I grew up in the poorest local government area in my state and um, in a government-assisted, we call them housing commission homes in Australia. And pretty much every week of my life from the time I was three years old until the time I was 15, I was abused at the hands of four men weekly for 12 years. You see, most young women with that kind of background don't normally end up doing what I'm doing. 
they end up either drug dependent or alcohol dependent, maybe two or three different kids to two or three different fathers, confused about their gender identity, suicidal, broken. And see, so I was a young woman full of shame, full of bitterness, full of unforgiveness, full of anger, full of hurt. I was so, so angry, so shame-filled, so guilt-filled. I didn't have any hope. And there was no sense of a future in my life. And then just 10 years ago, two weeks before my 33rd birthday, I got a phone call from my 35-year-old brother at the time, George. Because when you're Greek, I don't know if you know much about Greeks, but they're all George, Nico, Spiro, Con. But anyway, so George called me and he said, Christine, I just got a letter from the government department and it says I've been adopted. To which I was kind of like, you know, I always knew you were weird. But anyway, so I said, of course they've made a mistake. You know, call me back in 10 minutes and just let me know what happened. So I go call the government department. So he called them, calls me back. This time he's sobbing and he says, Chris, it's true. They, they told me the name of my biological mother, where I was born. They've got a whole file on my life. I raced over to my mother's house because my brother was going to go and confront her. And if you know anything about Greeks, they are so volatile. We kind of act first and think later. And my dad had died. So I'm, I didn't know what, how my mother would react to this. So I walked into our lounge room as my brother's giving my mum this piece of paper from the government department. And my mum took it and she just started crying. And she said, George, I'm so sorry. All the adoptions in Australia, they were all closed adoptions in 35 years ago we never thought you would find out and church it was like a moment you know my brother's crying my mother's crying it was a a huge emotive moment and then about 10 minutes later my mother looks across the kitchen table at me and she said Christina since we're telling the truth do you want to know the whole truth to which I just looked at her and initially I don't even know why I said this I went I've been adopted too and she just started crying further and she just went, she just nodded her head and said, yes, church, I was stunned. I mean, imagine being 33 and finding out everything you thought to be true about your, I felt like I was in the Truman Show. I was just kind of like, what, what, this is not real. And then after a few moments, you know, I, I just kind of composed myself and then I just kind of looked at her and I went, my first words were, am I still Greek? And, um, you know, I just thought, I know it's a weird thing that comes to mind, but I thought I was called a lot of names at school for a lot of years. And so I wanted to make sure there was a, a reason for that. So anyway, I went, am I still Greek? And then the very next thing that came out of my mouth right there, I went, oh, well, before I was formed in my mother's womb, whose ever womb that was, he knew me. He knitted together my innermost parts. He fashioned all of my days before as yet there was one of them. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And church, that day, every fact that I thought to be true about my life changed. What my name was, where I was born, all the facts changed. In fact, to this morning, I still don't know the facts surrounding my conception. I don't know if I was the result of some one night stand, an ongoing adulterous affair. I don't even know if I was the result of a rape. But although I don't know the facts, I have discovered a force on the planet that is much higher than the facts and it's called the truth of the word of God. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it doesn't say that I am the workmanship of a rape. It doesn't say that I'm the workmanship of an adulterous affair. It says that we are his workmanship and that we've been recreated in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I am living proof that you can start bad in life and you can finish good. That the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross is good enough for every single one of us, that the blood of Jesus wipes away the mess of our past, gives us a brand new start and a hope for the future. And the bottom line is, if he could do it for me, he can do it for absolutely anybody. And that was the challenge. You, Christine, the rescued, 
Would you now become a rescuer to a lost and a broken generation? Would you dare to cross the street and make a difference for the one? If I really believe that this gospel is true, because you see, when I got my birth certificate, when I was um, given all my, my documents, I'm sure I've got a copy here somewhere. I want to show you. It's quite amazing. I got a copy of my birth certificate, which you can't see. But on here it says child's name, and in this gap it says unnamed. And then it simply says at the top, number 2508 of 1966. So I was left in a hospital unnamed, number 2508 of 1966. My social worker report, which would be here somewhere because it's a woman's pile. So here it is, right from the Royal Hospital for Women. There it is the most prestigious women's hospital in our nation. Right here, they've got a, a report from my social worker that was given two weeks before I was born. This is what they said of my biological mother when she came in for an assessment. It says she will want to come into the waiting patient's ward for the last two weeks and will return to the same address after confinement. Her estimated date of confinement is the 3rd of October and she plans to give the baby away on adoption. She does not seem to be too emotionally involved with this child. In fact, she seems to want to get it all over and done with and get back to work as soon as possible. So church, you cannot deny it. Here it is, black and white ink on paper. It's the facts. And a lot of us go, well, Christine, you know, can't you read the facts? The facts are there's 27 million slaves. The facts are I was unnamed and unwanted. I mean, it's the medical profession, so it's got to be true. It's the government, so it has to be true. I mean, most of us define our life by the facts. What are the facts? Well, Christine, can't you see the facts when it comes to my business? Can't you see the black and white ink on paper? Can't you see the facts? I was never going to amount to anything in school. Can't you see the facts? My mum said that I wish she wishes I was never born. Look at the facts of my life. But you know, if you just build your life according to the facts, you'll never rise up and do all that God's called you to do. Because although this is a black and white ink on paper, and it is the facts, you know what? I found myself another black and white ink on paper. I found myself something a little bit more powerful than the facts. And it's called the truth of the word of God. And you and I need to build our life on the truth of God's word. And although that piece of paper says that I'm unnamed, Isaiah 49 verse 1 says, from the womb of your mother, I have named your name. That piece of paper might say that I'm unwanted, but the word of God says, before I ever got in that womb, he wanted me, he knew me, he had a purpose and a plan for my life. And it's not just for me. It's for all the 7 billion people all across the earth. God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. And I'm not going to become desensitized by nothing. Numbers, but I'm going to step up to the plate and believe that God's word is true, that God wants to save, God wants to heal, God wants to restore, and that God has called us, his church, to go into a lost and a broken world and not see numbers, but see the one and say, would you cross the street for the one? And out of that, we began the A21 campaign. And there was a challenge, Christine, you were rescued and you have a responsibility as one that I have rescued to now become a rescuer to a lost and a broken generation. Who would have thought what they said was impossible? Christine, it's Albanian and Russian mafia in that part of the world. Christine, there have been no rescues in this part of the world. Christine, you won't get it off the ground. There's so much corruption. I mean, look at the Greek economy. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work it out. There is so much corruption. There is so much mismanagement. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. And over the last, you know, just a couple of years since the shelter's been open, we've had packed shelters, Girls find restoration and healing 
three weeks ago, we had the first trafficker in that part of the world not only um, be, convic- be convicted, but he was sentenced and he's in prison. And you know what? That sets a precedent for a, a whole nation. Girls are being restored. Girls are finding freedom and hope. Children are finding freedom and hope. Why? Because we said, you know what? There's a lot of darkness, but we're going to take the light of Christ into that darkness. I just want to show you this video because I think in three and a half minutes, this will bring you up to speed. And the story of Lilia that you will see is a story that is multiplied millions of times around the world. Why don't you just check out the screens? Human trafficking is on the rise. Anyone with information on the missing girl is being urged to contact crime. Another girl has gone missing it astounds me that not only does human trafficking exist on the earth today, but that there are actually more slaves than there have ever been before in the history of humanity. It's almost incomprehensible when you think about it. The quarter of the estimated 2 million trafficked women annually in the world are smuggled out of Central and Eastern Europe. Often when you hear a statistic, it can just seem like a, a number, not a person. I've heard it said that a million is just a statistic until you meet the one. Well, for me, I met that one, Lilia, and all of a sudden, human trafficking was no longer an impersonal statistic. It became a person. It had a face, it had a name. Most importantly, it suddenly had a voice. I'm Lilia. I grew up in a small town in Bulgaria. When I was 16, my father lost his job. Our family was struggling. We were starving, so I had to look for work. That is when I met Amelia. She told me her cousin owned a hair salon in Greece and that she would get me a job there. It was my dream to become a hairdresser. Amelia arranged everything. I said goodbye to my family and boarded the plane to Greece. When I arrived in Greece, Amelia's cousin picked me up from the airport. He brought me into an apartment. That is when the nightmare began. He closed the door to the apartment and then he turned around. He told me he did not own a hair salon. He owned a brothel. But he had a job for me. He hit me. Then he told me that he knew where my family lived. And if I told anyone, if I did not work for him, if I tried to escape, he would kill my family. I cannot believe what people will do to one another just for money. Today, the reality is that Lilia is one of 27 million people trapped in slavery. Her life is not her own. As a sex slave, she is forced to toil in the shadows. She's hidden in plain sight. Day and night, her frantic pleas for help often go unheard. She's the long, lonely cry in the darkness that echoes across the earth 27 million times. Lilia could be your sister, your friend, or perhaps even your daughter. Because of the A21 campaign, girls like Lilia have truly found freedom, hope, and restoration. The truth is, 
there are millions more crying out. I'm asking, will you listen to their cry? And together, we can all be her freedom. You know, that story is so textbook. It happens time and time and time again. And you know what's even more tragic? That often those girls, the traffickers will make sure that they get pregnant and then they'll take them across into Bulgaria where they'll give birth to children and then they'll take those children and sell them into infant farms. And this just gets messier and messier and more and more tragic. There is so much darkness. But God has not called his church to walk away from that darkness and to hide ourselves as if it doesn't exist. Pretending it doesn't exist doesn't make it go away. We were born for this hour. This is what we were put on the earth to do, to fight against injustice, to bring hope and life and liberty. See, when you've tasted of the hope and the freedom and the life and the liberty of Christ, you know this stuff works. And you know that all we need to do is take his light into a lost and a dark and a broken world. One of the girls said to me, Christine, aren't you afraid? Well, either I believe all the Bible or, or some of it. If the Bible says that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. That means even if I have feelings of fear, I think, you know what, that's not from God because he's given me a spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And if we, the church, don't go into darkness, then who will? Who will bring light? If we are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. There's not much that he says that he is and that we are. He says, I am the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. You don't have a light and then hide it under a bushel and then just pretend and hope it all goes away. You take that light and you put it in the midst of darkness and you dispel that darkness and you bring my justice and my truth. That's the purpose of the church so that we can take Christ's light into a dark world. You know, I was with a a group of 14 of these victims um, recently and one of the girls started telling me her story, how she had been shipped over in a container. Now you've got to understand, a shipping container. I currently have furniture in a shipping container being shipped over. That's what you normally put in containers, not people. 60 girls were put in a shipping container, of which um, when they opened the container in Turkey, 30 of those girls had died because the oxygen tank had had broken. I've got two daughters. I mean, I'm not, this could be my daughters. And then they opened that container and then they had to get the girls from Turkey across to Greece. They put them in these very unseaworthy kind of like rubber dinghies to take them over. The girls hadn't even seen water to swim in. They didn't know how to swim. The Greek Coast Guard was coming through. So the traffickers just threw the girls over like excess baggage, of which more than half of those girls drowned. And then by the time we were involved in helping a raid happen in Athens, this girl, the one girl was um, rescued. And as she asked me, you know, she was telling me her story. I was like, I couldn't even believe that I was hearing this in the 21st century. And then one of the other girls, a Russian girl that had been recently rescued, she yells at me. I'll never forget this. Across the room, she said to me first, why did you come? So I began to tell her what I'm telling you, how I was in an airport and I felt the spirit of God and I wanted to go and do something. I thought I was being the big Christian. I thought, you know, she's going to say, thank you. I'm so glad you came. But she said something that was so piercing and so penetrating. And she said it to me four months ago. And I I don't know that a day has ever passed that I haven't heard this echo in my ears. She yells at me. She was from, from Russia. She goes, then if what you're telling me is true, if what you are telling me about this God is true, then why didn't you come sooner? And I just looked at her and I said, you know what? You're right. I actually can't think right now of one thing that was so important in my life 
that I couldn't come sooner. And I said to her, I'm so sorry because God heard your cry. I'm sorry that it took me so long to hear your cry. Because there's the cries of people lost in darkness, in containers, going up to God and God saying, church, you're my hands and my feet. I want to mobilize you to go into the highways and byways so you can go and seek and save that which was lost. I want you to cross the street for the one lost sheep, for the one lost coin, for the one lost son. I want you to cross just like I came into the world from my comfort of heaven where everything was perfect. I left that comfort zone. That's what the incarnation is. It's putting flesh and blood on the bones of faith. It's saying, I don't just intellectually believe this stuff, but I'm going to cross the street And I'm going to see this bring change and transformation to people's lives. Let me end with this story. I was um, in my my little four-year-old, Sophia, she she loves flashlights. And, um, you know, when we come to America, you you kind of, when you're an Australian, you always go to Walmart because it's like a tourist attraction when you come to America. It's fantastic because in Australia... We like have no stores that are open at three o'clock where you can buy a refrigerator, a television set, breakfast cereal and underwear. It's awesome. And so, you know, you kind of get in there and you Twitter to the world, I'm in Walmart. And all you like, American friends are, so what? But all your Australians are, I wish I was there. I'm so jealous. But anyway, so it's kind of like a a thing you do. And so um, I took her to Walmart and my little girl, she was obsessed at this point with Barbie. And, you know, in fact, if you asked her, Sophia, is Jesus in your heart? She would say, no, mommy, daddy said we're not allowed to have boys. And so Jesus is not in my heart. Barbie is in my heart and Jesus is in my tummy. So anyway, slight (laughs) theological issue, but that's all right. And so I bought her a, a Barbie flashlight. And so she's standing there and I put batteries in it for her and I was paying for my purchase. And I'll never forget this because as I'm paying... Sophia turns the flashlight on. Now, if you've ever been in Walmart, there's not that great mood lighting. It's just like fluoro. And so she turns the light on, but she can't see the light because there's already so much light. And so this is what she yells at me. She said, Mommy, can we please go and find some darkness? And I honestly, I was like handing my credit card. I turned around and I thought, this kid's got a clue. There's only one place that light works most effective. It's not where there's already a whole lot of light. It's in the midst of darkness. Now, if you put my little four-year-old in a dark closet, close the door with no flashlight, that kid will scream her lungs out. But you give her a tiny little pocket flashlight and she thinks, man, I'm going to change the world. She's like, mom, can we go find more darkness? Can we go under the bed? Can we go into a deeper closet? Because when you have the light and you understand you have the light, you don't need much of it. But you don't fear that darkness anymore. You're saying, you know what? I'm coming with the light of Christ to dispel the darkness, to establish his justice, his mercy, his truth. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We either believe this stuff or we don't. God's saying, come on, church. If you read Isaiah chapter 60, he says, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall come cover the earth and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you the Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the shining of your brightness I believe this is the greatest hour for the church of Jesus Christ we don't need to fear darkness we just need to take the light of Christ into the darkness dispel the darkness and let people let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify our father in heaven in Jesus name amen Amen and amen and amen. 
So I'm going to pray. And for those of you, I know for, it, it, it awakens and evokes so much emotion. The thing I'm most excited about, the next thing that we are really going into is we've just formed a, a special forces team and they're all ex-special forces operatives that are going to go and get involved in the investigations because we are serious about making a difference in this. And um, I believe that as the Church of Jesus Christ unites across the earth, we can change that 27 million one life at a time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a fantastic morning in your house. Lord, I thank you for your faithful people. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would do what only your Holy Spirit could do, that you would awaken something on the inside of us. Lord, where we would have a passion for you and a compassion for people that would cause us to be stirred out of our comfort zones and to step into the darkness with the light that dwells on the inside of us and to illuminate that darkness with your life and your light and your word. Lord, let every person in this room, across our satellites, Lord, on the internet, let every person realize that we all contain the light and life of Christ. And let all of us make a difference in our world, I pray, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.